I love this 8 a.m. service. I love being in our 8 a.m. service. Good morning to those of you in our video teaching services today. Thank you for hanging out with us today. We've been saying in this series, if, if we get to the end of this series, the end of this six weeks, uh, and we are successful, if this series is impactful as a church moving together, we're going to know how long we're going to be having video teaching services and when we'll be able to come back together. But Mike, for those of you who are in our video teaching service at Summit Lakes, you're not going to get this. Mike, don't lose Jesus. Because we desperately need him the next five weeks at Journey. So please, yeah, Katie, don't lose Jesus. We're going to need him. Hang on to him with or without an arm. I believe Jesus got that lizard power. He can grow a new one. Or maybe lizards have Jesus power. Maybe that's where the tail um, thing comes from. Um, Don't lose Jesus. We're going to need him. And we're going to need him at Christmas. There's a lot of things I see on our video announcements that excite me. Having 10 services at Christmas is not one of those. I'm excited for people who might come to know Jesus at Christmas. But it's like, we're doing 10 Christmas services. That is crazy. If you have a Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20 is where we are going to hang out today. We are in week two of a series you heard Mike talk about called Difference Makers. We are trying to very intentionally remind ourselves who God has created us to be, what God has called us to do in this season of our church, in this season of your life. You say, Christian, what vision am I supposed to be chasing? You are supposed to be chasing the vision of becoming who God created you to become and doing what God created you to do. We believe every person who lives on planet earth has been created to know God, to be transformed from the inside out, to find and discover their purpose, and then to go do it and to make a difference in the world with who God created you to be. We believe if individuals would do that together, If our church will do that together, we will be people who know God who will then make him known in our world. We will be people who have been transformed, who can then go and help others who need to be transformed. We can be people who have discovered our purpose so we can live on mission. And we believe if enough people try to make a difference together, that together we can make a bigger difference than we could alone. That is the purpose of this series. I've got two goals today as we dig into 2 Kings chapter 20. One one of them is going to be kind of a preview of a series that we're going to have in February. My first goal is this. I want to teach you a little bit about the history of King Hezekiah, and I want to learn some key lessons from his story. That's the first goal today, to learn a brief history of King Hezekiah, who he was, and to learn some key lessons from his story. If you haven't already, pull out your notes so you can take notes. Uh, Fire up your Journey Church International app as we read the Bible. If you're brand new and you think, I don't have a Bible, or I have a Bible, but I don't know how to find where we are in the Bible, everything on the screens will be on your handheld device. If you download um, our app on your smartphone and follow along that way, you can email your notes to yourself at the end of the message in case you ever want to send them to anyone or look at them later. Our first goal, to learn a little bit about Hezekiah. And to learn from him, our second goal, to begin to contemplate how we can leverage today so that we might impact tomorrow. If you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, you should think this every day. If you're a Christian, you should think this every morning when you wake up. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should think this. How can I leverage today so that what happens today impacts tomorrow? Like this should be hanging in your bathroom. It should be setting in your car. It should be somewhere on your desk. How can I do something today that's going to impact tomorrow? So we're going to learn a little bit about Hezekiah. We're going to learn from him how what happens today really does make a difference tomorrow. And we're going to try as a church to learn as individuals and as a, as a church together how to leverage today so that we might have impact tomorrow. Before we open God's word, we always try to open our hearts. So if you just pray with me here and in our video teaching service, if you're watching online, if you bow your heads quickly, if you take a deep breath, and some of you, the only time you take a deep breath is on Sunday. You're moving too fast. 
you slow down a little bit. Take a deep breath. Let last week be in last week. Let next week stay there. It'll be there tomorrow when you wake up, I promise. In this moment, open your heart, open your ears, open your eyes to God. If you're a praying person, would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you? Would you tell him you'll listen if he'll speak to you? God, that's our prayer. We pray that you would speak to our hearts today as we learn about one of your greatest servants on one of his worst days. Show us how we must think and live in order to leverage our lives today for your impact tomorrow. God, that's our prayer. We pray you'll help us with that today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Second Kings chapter 20. Here's what you need to know about it. It holds the story of one of the greatest supernatural miracles and one of the most selfish mindsets ever seen in the kings of Judah. Second Kings 20 is, is a story about one of the greatest supernatural miracles and probably the most selfish mindset that we ever see within the kings of Judah. We're going to meet a king named Hezekiah. We're going to experience with him a miracle of healing, and then we're going to see a mindset of selfishness, and then we're going to meet just a little bit of bad news child named Manasseh. We're going to start with the miracle, but let me set up 2 Kings chapter 20 this way for you. In 2 Kings chapter 20, we meet Hezekiah. Here's what you need to know about Hezekiah. I love Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of my heroes spiritually. I love Hezekiah. We're going to read about his worst day, but I love Hezekiah. We're doing a series in February in our church just called Hezekiah. Because when you look at the life of Hezekiah, you can learn how to deeply lean into God and walk with God. I love Hezekiah, but he's having a bad day in 2 Kings chapter 20. I also love Hezekiah. Some of you are going to Israel with me in January. Hezekiah is one of the most historically reliable characters in the entire Old Testament. Because of the archaeology finds and the things he built and the things he left behind, uh, no one in history can dispute this guy existed and did what the Bible says that he did. I love Hezekiah. He's proof that this thing happened, and his faith has really encouraged me, but he's having a bad day today. Here's some facts on his life. He was king in Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, from 715 to 686 BC. Israel, which was the northern half of the divided country of what I would call Israel proper. So Israel was made up of 12 tribes at a civil war. Ten of them were the north. They they kept the name Israel. The south kept the name Judah. Um, The northern part of Israel had been defeated, conquered, and exiled, which means they all were either killed or removed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. So seven years before Hezekiah became king in Judah. Assyria, after it defeated Israel, turned south. Not because they cared much about Judah, but because it was on the way to Egypt and they thought, let's conquer them too while we go down to Egypt so we can basically rule the entire Middle East. They wanted the seaboard from northern Africa literally all the way up the coast to Turkey. That was their thought. They could control the world if they could control the seas. And Hezekiah's obedience to God in his story and his trust in his God led to this miraculous intervention over and over and over, this miraculous success against the Assyrian army, who was one of the most powerful in ancient history. Hezekiah literally, by his dedication to his faith, by his dedication to prayer, by his dedication to trust, by his dedication to spiritual community, by his dedication to worship, all the things we're going to learn in February we need to do if we want to see God do the supernatural in our life. He, he had kept this army at bay, but near the end of this season, he gets sick, and he nearly dies. And we read that part of his story in 2 Kings chapter 20. We're going to kind of work through it today. So keep your Bible open on your lap if you have it. It says this, in the first six verses of 2 Kings 20, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and he was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah 
same one who wrote the book, Isaiah. They lived at the same time. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You're not going to recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly before Isaiah had left the middle court, which means he hadn't even got out of the house. The word of the Lord came to him and said, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. This is what the Lord... The God of your father, David, says, I've heard your prayer. I saw your tears. Some of you, by the way, need to underline that because you've been wondering this week. Does God hear? Does God see? Does he hear the prayers? Does he see the tears? You need to underline that. That's like the only thing you needed to hear today at church. Just underline those parts. Yes, he hears. Yes, he sees. He says this to Hezekiah. I'm going to heal you. On the third day from now, you're going to go up to the temple of the Lord And I'm going to add 15 years to your life, and I'll deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. One of the greatest miracles in the history of the kings of Judah. But to really understand the tension of faith that Hezekiah had to be feeling, to to understand the groaning in his spirit, you have to know this. Hezekiah was the 15th king in Judah. The 15th king. David was the first. Hezekiah was the 15th. The three kings before him, three generations of kings before him, had not trusted God. They'd done everything wrong. They hadn't worshipped God. They kind of turned everything but God to help them. Um, Hezekiah's dad, Ahaz, was a bad guy. He was a really, really bad guy. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah's oldest brother was sacrificed by his father, Ahaz, as an offering to a foreign god. That's how much the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah did not trust God. There was a foreign God who it was said you could get his attention if you would kill one of your firstborn kids. So Hezekiah's dad took his oldest brother and killed him because he asked this foreign God to help him instead of the God of Israel. Israel was in a really, really bad place. Hezekiah shouldn't have even been king. His brother should have. But his dad killed his brother trying to get some foreign God to help him. So as king, Hezekiah said, hey, last three generations have worshipped everybody but God. Let's worship God and see if it works. He had done the exact opposite. And he had seen God move in an incredible way. He said, we're going to turn to God in times of trouble. He did. And he was miraculously delivered over and over and over again. But he really had no choice because the first 15 years of Hezekiah's reign were lived under the constant threat of invasion from Assyria. The first 15 years, like literally the Assyrian army was sitting outside his front door. They kept the city under siege, and then they'd run down to Egypt, and then they'd come back and put it under siege again. Then they'd run back to Assyria, and they'd put it under siege. There was probably never a day in the first 15 years of Hezekiah's reign that there wasn't some type of Assyrian cavalry soldiers' chariots right outside the gates of Jerusalem just waiting to remind him, you're, you're going down. And in this season of 15 years of battle, man, he learned to pray. He learned to, he learned to live in spiritual community. He learned to trust God's word. He learned to worship. That's why we're going to study his life in February because those 15 years teach us a whole lot about how to live for God. But in 2 Kings chapter 20, he had developed a skin disease at the age of 40. It was killing him. He's 40 years old. From 25 to 40, all he had done was trust God and see God move. When no one before him and very few after him would do it, and now he he was dying. So he turned to God, and I think he prayed something like this. God, are you serious? God, after everything that I've done, after how I've trusted you, after how we put it all in your hands, 
I'm 40 years old and I'm going to die? God, please give me more time. And God says, okay. And tells Isaiah, go, go back and tell him I heard his prayer. Okay, you got it. I'm going to give him 15 more. I'm going I'm to double his reign because he prayed and he asked for it. First 15 years of Hezekiah's reign, man, they, they were characterized by battle, by threats, by suffering. But the last 15 years of Hezekiah's reign would be lived under this miraculous peace of God, which changed things in Hezekiah. It changed things. Let's think about this. How would you change if for 15 years of your life every day you had to get up and pray? It was your only option. And then you didn't have to anymore. Would you still do it? If every day for 15 years you had to call your spiritual counselor, Isaiah, and say, what are we going to do today? And then you didn't have to. Would you still check in with spiritual counsel anymore? Do you still stay close to God? Do you still choose to stay on mission even when it's uncomfortable? If you don't have to? Because that's what Hezekiah was presented with. God said, I'm going to take care of all of this for you. You're going to get 15 more years. God would later tell a future king of Israel that 15 years was a test to see whether or not God really had Hezekiah's heart. And we see in 2 Kings 20 his mindset. We see his mindset. Let me ask you about your mindset. What do you, what do, you do? Are you more dependent on God when things are hard or when things are easy? Let's think about it for a minute. Are you more dependent on God when things are really, really difficult or when times are really, really good? Hezekiah kind of, he, he made a turn in the wrong direction. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 12, we pick up these 15 extra years of Hezekiah's life. It says, at that time, Marduk Baladan, the son of Baladan, the king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys, and he showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah didn't show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say? Where'd they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day is going to be carried off to Babylon. Nothing... Is going to be left, says the Lord. In some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood will be, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs. You might circle that word eunuchs. That, that means they would be castrated so they could work among the king and the women around him, but so that their family name could not continue any longer. That's what was going to happen to his family. They're going to become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Look at verse 19. To me, one of the most disappointing verses in all the Bible for someone who's a hero of mine. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good. It's good. How could Hezekiah say that? The word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, hey, at least there's going to be peace and security in my lifetime. One of the most disappointing statements in Scripture from a man who has taught us so much about faith. So much about trust. So much about sacrifice. He gets the news that his country and his homeland and his faith community 
and his family are going to be cut off from history. And he responds this way. That's good. That's good as long as I'm good. I wonder if he went to Isaiah and said, well, hang on. So just, uh, just to be clear, so all that you say, it's not going to happen until after I die? And Isaiah says, yeah, after you die. And he said, all right, that's fine. It's like, what? It's an ugly spiritual mindset. It's a really ugly spiritual mindset. As long as I'm good, like, who, cares what ha- who cares what happens tomorrow as long as I'm good today? A couple of important notes about Hezekiah, maybe about your faith journey. Number one, the enemy that kept Hezekiah dependent on God had been eliminated. Assyria, every day for 15 years, camped outside his front door. They're gone. He doesn't have to get up and ask God to protect him. They're not there anymore. Number two, the suffering that had kept Hezekiah dependent on God. That had been healed. If you can imagine not being able to sleep through the night because of some illness in your body and how every time you wake up in the middle of the night, you cry out to God, that's gone anymore. So do you still cry out to God in the middle of the night or ever? The enemy was gone. The pain was gone. And watch this. Hezekiah's desire to live for something bigger than himself was gone too. The pain was gone. The enemy was gone. And this desire, this awareness, this calling that his life was about more than himself was gone too. You need to take this note if this is the only note you take today. Who you are in hardship reveals your beliefs, but who you are in comfort reveals your heart. I like Hezekiah's beliefs. He believed God could help him when he needed help. Who you are in hardship reveals your beliefs, but who you are in comfort reveals your heart. Watch how this works for us on Monday morning prayer. I celebrate the beliefs of people who are coming to Monday morning prayer when they've got a really, really difficult week in front of them because their beliefs are solid. They're saying, I can't get through this week without God, so I gotta show up and pray because this is a really big week. I got a really big meeting. I got a really big presentation. I got a really big decision. I applaud your beliefs of saying, I have to lean into God when things are hard. But that same person on a week with no big meeting, no big presentation, no big decisions, when they say, I'm gonna sleep today, what they're saying is, I believe in God. I'm just gonna keep him, I'm gonna keep him where I need him because I believe when I need him, he'll be there, but my heart is not naturally bent towards pursuing him. If, if like if I absolutely don't have to. Who you are in hardship reveals your beliefs. Your beliefs may be solid. Who you are in comfort reveals your heart. Are you still chasing the vision God has for your life when things are good? I mean, look at 2 Kings twenty nineteen. Have you ever heard something so heartless? I mean, wait, wait till you really meet Hezekiah in February and then come back to this verse and you'll think, how could this guy say this? Country's gone, relatives are gone, your inheritance is gone, like it's all gonna go away. And Hezekiah says, that's good, that's all right. I mean, as long as, it, as, long as it's not gonna impact me, that's all right. For he thought, at least there's going to be peace and security in my lifetime. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not really responsible for everybody else. Listen, we all need to understand, in this season of our lives, the mindset of comfort over calling can be dangerous spiritually. The mindset over, here's who I think God has created me to be, here's what God has created me to do, but that's really uncomfortable. The mindset of comfort over calling can be very dangerous spiritually. We believe it's really, really important to be a church that's on mission, that makes God known. 
that uses our life to serve others who need transformation, that discovers our purpose so we can live on mission, to go change the world by walking with Jesus. We believe that's really, really important. But sometimes we can think, but can't today just be about me? Can't today just be about me? Can't today just be about now? Hezekiah, can't the 15 years, can't, like, can't I just relax and let somebody else take care of the next generation? It's interesting, when you study the first two kings of Judah, their names were David and Solomon. Go study their stories. Here's what you're going to find out. It's really interesting. David stayed close to God while he battled. But when he quit fighting, he fell. Solomon stayed close to God while he built. But when he stopped building, he bailed spiritually. Both drifted when life got too comfortable. When David had to wake up and go to war, he stayed close to God. He had to. Quit fighting and he failed. When Solomon had to wake up and finish this building project that God had given his dad David to complete, he had to get up and pray. But when the building was done, he bailed. They, but when life got comfortable, they both just started living for themselves. What you need to understand in this season of our church is by inviting you into this building process with us that maybe you heard about last week or if you're here for the first time you're hearing about this week, you need to understand by inviting you into this building process, I'm essentially inviting you into a battle. I'm inviting you into a battle. I'm asking you to pursue God's mission for your life and for our lives together, taking the next step of building something that can, that can minister to our community for generations. And I'm asking you to do that at the expense of your comfort. When you look at this building that we've shown you, this picture, here's what you need to see. As you look at this, you need to see a spiritual battle. Because we are not like, we are not being chauffeured up to the front door of that. If we get to the front door of this battle, it's going to be through the lines of fire. I'm inviting you to battle. I'm inviting you to a battle of trust. Do you trust God? Enough to say, God, some of what you've given me, I'm going to give back to you. Not, not just for me, but for who it will reach 15 years plus from now. I'm inviting, I'm inviting you into a battle of faith. Do you believe God is bigger than your circumstances? Is your faith bigger than your fear when you look at three years from now and what that could mean if you make a significant pledge? I'm inviting you to a battle of prayer. I'm inviting you to take a step that you can't take unless you pray, but I believe that can help make you closer to God. I'm inviting you into a battle of desires. And I really wanted this. Can I wait on it? Can I give it up? Can I sacrifice it? I'm inviting you to a battle of have or have nots. And everyone else has this. I would like to do this. God, what am I supposed to do? I'm inviting you to battle with me. I'm not inviting you into a building project. I'm inviting you to a spiritual battle. And I'm saying for the sake of not just us, but those who will come after us, let's go fight. Will we choose the mindset of, hey, let's go. Let's, let's battle because it's not just about us. It's about who else needs to be here. And it's about who our church will reach after we're gone. I'm inviting you into a mindset of are you going to live for others or are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for comfort? Our mindset will determine whether or not we're going to see our miracle. That's the reality. For so many of us, our mindset is going to determine whether or not we're going to see our miracle because our, our decision ultimately is going to be about this. Am I, going to, am I going to make sure my life is about me or am I going to be willing to live for someone else? Hezekiah's mindset was selfish. Hezekiah's mindset was broken. And it would lead to, watch this, Hezekiah's mindset would lead to a generation of misery instead of ministry. So let me ask you this question. One day, we're not going to be in our church. I'm 41. 25 more years, I'll, I'll be 66. Maybe time to pass the baton to someone else. 
Will we hand the next generation of Journey Church International a generation of misery or ministry because of the way we've lived and shared our lives? Hezekiah, he handed Israel a generation of misery. Meet his son. His name's Manasseh, number three. Meet Manasseh. His story's really, really sad, but it's a cautionary tale for you and I. Meet Manasseh. Look at verses 20 and 21 of 2 Kings chapter 20. Let me introduce you to Manasseh. As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought the water into the city. By the way, you say, how real is Hezekiah? If you go to Israel with me, we'll walk through this tunnel that the Bible just mentioned. We'll walk through it together. It's pitch black. It's kind of scary. There's water up to your knees the entire time, but it's awesome. We'll walk through it. How he made the pool, the tunnel by which he brought the water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? They sure are. Sure are. Hezekiah rested with his ancestors, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. little history to put some things in perspective. Manasseh was eight years old when his dad, King Hezekiah, was given 15 more years to reign. He was eight. Some of you can picture an eight-year-old because you you have one, or you have a seven-year-old, or you have a nine-year-old. You can picture eight. Manasseh was eight when his dad was given 15 years additional years to reign. It's really important for you to remember in the context of this message. Eight years old. Say eight years old. Turn to somebody sitting next to you and say he was eight. So now turn to someone else sitting next to you. If you don't know him, smile if you don't know him. And say he was eight. He was eight. He was eight. Really important. Really important that we remember that he was eight. You say, why is that really important? Because of how his life would work out and the mindset that he had towards life. Here's what we need to understand. Manasseh would become the most evil of Judah's 22 kings and rulers. 21 kings. They actually had one queen for six years. Her name was Athaliah. Uh, her grandpa was King Ahab, who'd been king in, in Israel. Over 22 rulers in the history of Judah, Manasseh was the worst. As a matter of fact, when God punished Judah finally, he said it's because of Manasseh. You let everyone know that what Manasseh did was worse than anything that's ever been done in history. This is Manasseh's fault. You say, why? Or you could say this, Christian, like, how could that happen? His dad was, like, his dad is a spiritual hero. How could this happen? What happened to Manasseh? How'd that happen? Well, think about it for a minute. For, for those of you who are grown men, Think about 8 to 23. For those of you with sons, think about 8 to 23. Here's Manasseh's life from ages 8 to 23. From the age of 8 to 23, Manasseh watched his father make every decision based on his own life and his own comfort. That could have a negative impact on our sons, dads. Anybody want to say amen? That's a really bad age to get it wrong, dads. That's a really bad age to get it wrong, moms. That's a, that's a really bad age, grandma and grandpa, who've, who've got your kids living with it. That's a really bad age to set a culture of it's all about you. From the age of eight to the age of 23. To the point of, I don't know about you, I like to think in pictures. I've got a vivid imagination. Can you imagine little Hezekiah? Hiding behind a curtain when Isaiah comes to tell his dad, your descendants, they're going to be killed. They're going to be castrated. And here's dad say, so? How would that shape you? 
hey, how would that shape you if when you were 12, someone told your dad the way you're living your life is going to turn your kid into an addict? You're going to make it through, but it's going to destroy them. And hearing your dad say, so? How's that, how's that fit in your spirit? Meet Manasseh, the most evil king in Judah, whose dad really showed him how to get it wrong spiritually. He watched his dad do what he wanted. He watched his dad get what he needed. He watched his dad make decisions through the lens of how's this gonna impact today, who cares about tomorrow? He watched his dad make decisions through the lens of what's the best for me here and now with no impact for how, how with, with no kind of thought of how it impacts my family, how it impacts my relationships, how it impacts my spiritual relationship with God to the point of even hearing, I understand the future consequences of this and what it's gonna mean, but I just don't care as long as things are good right now. That was the dad Manasseh learned from between the ages of eight and 23. And that's not good. That's not good. You know, the best-selling nonfiction hardback book of all time, The Purpose Driven Life, begins with these four words. Interesting that more people would buy and read this book than any other book that's ever been written, hardback nonfiction, begins with these four words. It's not about you. It's not about you. You gotta be pretty bold as an author to have the first four words of your book be, it's not about you, and expect people to read the rest of it. But this book has sold more than 50 million copies because I think deep down people, people want to hear there's something bigger than them. They want to know that God created them to do something bigger than them, that their footprint will last well after they're gone. So Rick Warren says it's not about you. Who would, who would Manasseh have been? if he would have watched his dad every day between the ages of eight and 23, or he would have even heard his dad every day for between the ages of eight and 23 tell his family, listen, guys, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about here. It's not about now. It's not about me. It's about what God is doing in the world and how we can leverage our lives to help do that. It's not about us. Our life is about others. See, we're gonna find out in this process in this five or six weeks if we're gonna be a church that thinks that way. We want to think that way. We try to think that way. We had 22 people last week who got back from Guatemala, a trip that some people told us not to take. We had two trips to Guatemala this year. We'll have two trips to Guatemala next year. We'll have two trips to Israel next year. And we've had some experts in the church world say, listen, in the season where you build a building, you can't go on mission trips. People give all their money to the mission trip, not the building. We'll be able to build a building. Can't go on mission trips when you're building buildings. And we've said, that's not the way we look at it. Because as long as it's in our power and our calling to help others, we're gonna do it because it's not about us. And we're not gonna sacrifice ministry and resources around the world so we can build a building. We'd rather not have a building than not do that. It's not about us. So we're gonna go. And we're going to keep going. And maybe we'll build a smaller building because we go. But we're going to go. At the end of today's service, we're going to commission out two incredibly impactful and effective and beloved team members at our church, Pastor Kyle Ward and his wife, Stephanie. Pastor Kyle's been a military chaplain on reserve duty the last few years. But he told us when he came on, they could deploy me or call me to active duty at any time. And when they do, I'm going to go. And we said, we're... Man, we're for you until that happens. That happened this summer. And now they are getting ready to take their next ministry position at Fort Campbell on the border between Kentucky and Tennessee. They're basically gonna have a church of a thousand troops and their families 
on that base. And we've told people, we're not losing the wards, we're sending the wards. We're not losing them, we're sending them. And here's what I want you to know. My prayer is that every ministry team member that we have, if they're called to do something else somewhere else, will be a team member that we can invest in, build, prepare, equip, lead, and then send to go accomplish who God created them to be. Because it's not about us. It's not about journey. We're just kind of a stop in who God has called people to be and created people to be. It's not about us. Who could Manasseh have been if once a week his dad would have said, son, it's not about us. This is Israel thing that we're leading, not about us. It's about God and what he wants to do in our world. You know, a couple thoughts. As I consider what I learned from this message and I kind of work my way backwards, a couple things I'm thinking. Number one, I don't want to raise Manasseh. I don't know about you. I don't want to raise Manasseh. I don't want to be Manasseh. I, I don't want to be second half Hezekiah. I don't want to be someone who lives for me and makes every decision through the lens of me and my comfort. But I also know this, number two, it's hard to get out of that mindset. It's hard to get out of that mindset because every now and then you do just want to breathe a little bit. Every now and then you do just want to be a little bit healthy. Every now and then you do just want to look out the front door and have the enemy not be there for a day and think, but those seasons are just to get you ready for what's next. You can't live in that and choose a season of comfort rather than a season of calling. So I think what I've learned more than anything is that I want to live in a miraculous, faith-filled community of God who lives and acts and reacts and tells each other often, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about how God will use us for other people because I don't know about you, my faith life has been deeply impacted by people who have lived that way, thinking it's not about us. I started thinking of some of the faith moments that are like solidified in my mind forever. And I realized all of them were provided by people who had to think at some point it's not about us. I started thinking about church experience in my past. The church that I was dedicated in as a baby. I didn't give any money to build, but it was there for me on that day. The church I was baptized in at 11. Somebody had built that for me. The church that I brought my friends to in high school to find Jesus in. I'd never even thought about. I never even thought about how that building got built. The church that I was called to ministry in. The church that I received premarital counseling in. The church that I got married in. The church where I went to pray on the Friday after 9-11. Y'all remember that day, National Day of Prayer? I remember praying with thousands of people the Friday after 9-11. I needed that day to sit in a church and have comfort. But it wasn't a church that I had given anything to build. The church I preached my grandma's funeral in, my family needed that church that day, but I had nothing to do with putting it there. The church I was called to start journeying was on another continent across the Pacific Ocean. But God knew on that day it would serve me. Somebody before me left something for me. Let me say it again. Somebody before me left something for me. So that on the day when I needed ministry most, it would be there waiting. Somebody somewhere, a lot of somebody somewhere had to have had this mindset. It's not, it's not, about, it's not about us. So let's give because there's going to be some kid that needs to be dedicated, baptized. He's going to need some premarital counseling. He's going to need a place to get married. Let's give for the next generation. Somebody before me left something for me. John Maxwell, one of my favorite quotes of John Maxwell's is this, the most important impact of our lives 
may not be something we do. It may be someone that we raise. Hey, for you and I, the most important impact of our life may be something that we provide for the generation that we're raising and the next generation after them. My prayer for our church is that we'll have this great mindset to provide all these ministries for people going forward that I've just mentioned and more because our church has this mindset of it's, it's just not about us. The goal that we're walking to in this season right now that I introduced to you last week, a two-year campaign called Difference Makers to try to, to try to help us build a building. We believe it's time for us as a church to expand for the past nine months. Go ahead and throw that picture up, guys. We've had a team of elders and finance team members and builders and developers and architects and engineers working to develop our master site plan to help us figure out what can be next as a church. Got to buy our 25-year vision plan. We've said, what's the next thing we need to do to keep preparing to minister to our community and fulfill our calling? The next picture probably shows, if you weren't here last week, a little better picture. The blue is our current facility. All the white is our new. This is what we are leaning into, pressing into, so we can continue to pursue our calling. And if we lift the roof up, you'll see kind of three main priorities that we're looking at in this phase this season of our church. Number one, a 1,200-seat auditorium where we can hold our church on one campus, not two, where we can all be together, where we can bring friends and family to. I talked to someone after introducing this last, uh, last week who said, for the last three years, I've had a family that I wanted to invite at Christmas, but I knew we wouldn't be able to sit together, so I've been waiting because our Christmas services are crazy, and they don't want to come to the one that's like on December 18th because that doesn't feel like a Christmas service. And I said, just hang on. We're going to build something that your friends will fit into. A huge community space atrium area where people can hang out before, during, and after church and receive just one-on-one ministry care, be able to talk to your friends and not have to race out a parking lot big enough to hold everyone, and then a massively upgraded children's ministry facility. Our entire building that we sit in now will be given to our infant through fifth grade ministry, and then eventually, if we raise enough, the ability to expand even into a lot of classroom ministry so our kids can learn in a discipleship environment of a classroom, not just large group environments. That's what we're pursuing. We believe this is the next step for us to pursue. But in order to see this, it's only going to happen if we are a church who believes that everything we have has been given to us, but it's not all, but it's not just all about us. It's about who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. We have to believe that spiritual action today, building a building, will lead to spiritual impact for generations to come even after we're gone. We just have to choose to trust that. You say, how are we going to do it? In order to do this, I told you last week, our church needs to raise between 8 and $9 million and then put together a responsible financing package to build those things. An expanded children's ministry facility, a new auditorium, an atrium, all the parking and entryways to support all of that. Somebody asked me this week, really good question, what's the difference between $8 million and $9 million? Nine probably gets us all of those classrooms on the backside of the children's auditorium. Two, eight probably, that comes in a, in a later season for our church. It's a, it's a big ask. And we're asking over two years people to make a faith pledge of here's what I believe, over and above my tithe. So over and above what I normally give Here's what I believe I can give over two years so that we can make it. We, we got to try to raise eight to nine million dollars. Say, Christian, do you think we can do it? I think this, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. I said this last week. I believe it with all my heart. Two things that I know about this project. One, not everyone's supposed to give. If you're here today and you say, Christian, you said last week not everyone's supposed to give, but now you're telling me if I don't give that it's all about me. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. If this is not your season to lean in financially, then don't worry about it. 
God has already told me not everyone is supposed to give. Not everyone can give at this time. Maybe you gave last time. Maybe you'll give next time. No guilt, no shame. You just pray. If you can't give, just pray. But the second part of that is this. Everyone who's called to give, everyone who's supposed to give is going to have to give and give what God tells them to give in faith for us to get there. I think if the project comes together that way, we are going to make it. You say, How's, how, are the, how, how are you going to know what I'm supposed to give? How are you going to know what everyone gives? Um, how are you going to know if we make it? When will we know if we've made it? Those are all really good questions. We're going to ask you to make a two-year pledge and bring that on or before December 15th. If you look inside your bulletin, we've created this little tool that we're going to ask you to hand in sometime between now and December 15th, which is it's basically a pledge card. And we're going to ask you at some point between now and December 15th, or you can do it online, to go and to make both a two-year pledge and a first fruit offering. I'm going to ask you to pray for a month. What am I supposed to do? And between now and that month, here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. One, if you want to know more information about the building, come have dinner with me. Danielle and I are going to be hosting a dinner every week between now and December 15th to answer questions about the building, to kind of give you some behind-the-scenes information you couldn't get any other way. Uh, we're going to try to make those ministry specific so that we have a children's night and you can hear everything we're going to do in the children's building. So we have a student night. You can hear everything going on in the student ministry. Um, we've got a guest services night so you can understand how we're going to park and greet everyone so you can see your ministry operating inside the building. We're going to ask you to do that. Go visit our website if you haven't already, differencemaker.cc. That'll give you a whole lot of information if you like to read and watch videos about this project, uh, more than you'll get on Sunday morning. But at the end of all of it, we're going to ask you on Sunday, December 15th, to bring your first fruits offering and your two-year pledge. You say, how does that work? This is all brand new to me. Let me give it to you through the lens of one of our sixth graders. Had a parent this week whose sixth grader is, uh, is making, was making a $500 pledge and giving a $50 first fruit offering. So they would have put on this first fruit offering, $50. Total two-year pledge um, would have been $500. We would have said, okay, they, they're going to give us $500. They've given us $50. So we can count on $450 more from them. That was one of our sixth graders. But he went back to his mom and dad after praying about it a few days. And he said, I feel like I'm supposed to give 1000 but, but I think the only way that can happen is if it snows a lot and I shovel a lot of driveway. So I'm going to start praying for snow. If you're here and you're thinking, I'm going to pray it doesn't snow, you better add $500 to your pledge. Because that kid, that kid is counting on snow so that he can give. Listen, if everyone gives with that heart, not that amount, but if everyone gives with that heart, I'm going to pray that it snows so I can work more so that I can have more. If everyone gives with that heart, whether it's a million dollars, and I've been praying for almost three years that somebody will give a million dollars. I think it's going to take that to push us past the finish line. Whether it's a million dollars or whether it's 250. If you give what God tells you to give, I believe we'll get there. It will be enough. And on Christmas weekend, in those 10 services, we'll tell everyone about Jesus. And at the end of that service, We'll stop and we'll say, here's what's come in, and here are our next steps. If God is calling you to give, give in three ways. Give generously, give sacrificially, give the number God tells you to give. Give a faith number, not a finance number. The great news that I announced last week, we've got to get to at least eight. Before we even started the campaign, we were at 4.2. $4.2 million has already been pledged by our elders, our finance team, some friends, some staff that have stepped in. 4.2 million has already been pledged with about 50 families. So if we add another 1,000, hey, hopefully we'll get there. Hopefully we'll get there. And when we do, we'll say, God, it was never about us. 
It was never about us. So thanks for allowing us to provide for the future. Hezekiah started so strong. Man, he ended so poorly because eventually it became about him. Let's pray. Our miracle happens because our mindset is to live for others. Would you pray with me here and in our video teaching service? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God, thank you for the glimpse that you gave us today into the life of Hezekiah. Help us, Lord, not to need enemies and suffering to keep us close to you. Help our hearts to seek you even when life is most comfortable. And Lord, help us to choose battles and building projects if we truly believe they're part of your calling for this season in our lives. Even if they stretch us and make us uncomfortable, God, use those things to keep us close to you and to let our lives have future impact on others. God, call people to give if they're supposed to give so that we might experience our miracle together. Help them give generously. God, help them give sacrificially. God, help them to give in faith and then reward that faith so that their faith becomes stronger. God, help us to get there together. It's not about us, but use us to build a place for future generations to find and worship and serve you. We trust you. God, give us a miracle. Give us a miracle, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Amen, amen, amen. Ushers, go ahead and come forward. Uh, We're going to take our regular offering before we leave today. As we do that, if you're interested in having dinner with Danielle and I, uh, some of our staff team and hear more about the building project, uh, you can do a couple things. One, you can text the number 474747 with the words journey, info dinner. That needs to be one word to that number. Or there's a little card in your bulletin. You can fill that out, send it in, and we'll call you. There's one every week between now and December 15th. You can sign up for the one that is easiest for you. We'd love to have you do that. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll pass the offering. God, thank you for the people in our church, their generosity. Use their offering today, Lord, to do great ministry tomorrow. Let us live every day asking the question, what can I do today that makes a difference for tomorrow? We love you. Bless these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. If you want more information about the building project, if you need to have some questions answered, uh, you can go to the website, differencemaker.cc. That lays out a bunch of things that we're doing, but the, really the best way is to come have dinner. So if you can come have dinner with me, come and have dinner with me. Um, Kyle and Stephanie, come on up here if you would. Uh, guys, it, it, um, it has been an incredible, incredible four years at Journey with Stephanie Ward, Uh, leading our elementary ministry, and Kyle leading our student ministry. Guys, you have made our church so much better. Um, I don't know that we, we wouldn't be in this building doing what we're doing without you. God has used you so powerfully in our church. God has used you so powerfully in the lives of my children into developing them to love Jesus and serve Jesus the way that they do. Um, I want you to know I love you guys. I am thrilled for where you're going. I'm going to miss you as friends. Um, but, man, I'm, I'm so excited for, for what you're, you're going to do. If, if you read just a little bit about the divorce rate of our troops, about the suicide rate of our troops, and you see how those are double, triple, and sometimes quadruple what normal society is, which isn't good in the first place, you realize how much men like Kyle are needed to be embedded in active duty service with our military hoping them hold their lives together while, while they live a life that's not about them. They're serving our country. We need people like Kyle serving them. Guys, we don't believe we're losing you. We believe we're sending you. We believe we are multiplying the ministry of journey, not, not subtracting, 
because of what you and you two boys are doing. And we just want you to know we love you. We're for you. We're here for you. And I just know God has great, great plans for you. I'm going to ask you to stand because we're going to pray a prayer of commissioning over them. Uh, I'm going to lay my hands on them as I pray for them. I'm going to ask if you're not uncomfortable that you would stretch your arms toward them just in solidarity of our church commissioning them together for their next ministry. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, that you sent Kyle and Stephanie Ward to help Journey Church International. Just like you sent Isaiah to help Hezekiah, you sent them to help us. Lord, there are hundreds, if not more than a thousand children and teenagers who now know Jesus who did not hundreds who've been baptized, dozens who've been called to ministry because their ministry existed here. You use them in a powerful way, Lord. Thank you. And God, as they go to their next ministry calling, their next ministry stop, Lord, use them in a powerful way. I pray for the mom and dad whose son or daughter are getting ready to enlist and they've been praying for the last six months. If they enlist, you will send some godly man or woman into their life so they'll make it while they're in the military. Lord, we thank you that Kyle and Stephanie are going to be an answer to that mom and dad's, that grandma and grandpa's, that aunt and uncle's, that student pastor's prayer for their kids who are enlisting. And Lord, for the troops who are going and coming and who need so much healing and hope, let Jesus, as they see him through Kyle and Stephanie and Elijah and Isaiah, let him be enough and God, I pray that you would help him bring life to those who protect life of those of us who live in this great country. God, we commission them to your service. We're not losing them. We're sending them. We're not subtracting. We're multiplying. Use them, Lord, that your kingdom might come and your will would be done in a greater way on earth at Fort Campbell, Lord, than it is already. Let it be done like it is in heaven. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, Amen. can you put your hands together and thank God for these two? and their ministry. Your mom and dad still live here. So if we hear that you come into town to visit them and you don't visit us, it's going to hurt our feelings. So don't post it on social media if you're not going to come see us because we're going to be watching. We're going to be praying. Anytime y'all are driving past, where would it be? Clarksville, Tennessee. If you're driving from St. Louis to Nashville, stop and see Kyle and Stephanie. They would love to see you. If you're brand new today, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Um, make sure before you leave, you let us give you a gift out in the entry area between the two TVs. Somebody will be waiting. They'd love to give you a water bottle or a coffee mug to just say thank you for coming. Just take your connection card out to them. Um, and as always, Monday morning prayer, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. If you can be here, we'd love to see you for prayer. You are dismissed. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you next week.